Folks, welcome in. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550 KTRS. Talking Tiger basketball, talking college sports with you tonight. Brendan and Ben Fred along. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN is going to join us, their senior college football writer. A lot happening just today in the world of college football that we're going to dig into. For the first time on the show, Ben Arnett. He is the sports director at KOMU-TV in Columbia. Uh fun conversation with Ben as we'll talk some Mizzou hoops we'll talk some Mizzou football with a guy that's really plugged in on the grounds there in Como and of course we're getting you ready for tomorrow I'd much rather Ben be talking about a battle of the unbeatens but a battle of the winless it does unfortunately have a ring to it it's not a ring that I'm particularly excited about, but somebody, Mizzou or Vanderbilt, will have an SEC win on the docket uh, come 24 hours from now after they play down in Music City. Hey, man, at this point, lock the doors and somebody gets to walk out with a win. And if they get to play until somebody's a winner for the first time in SEC play, you hate to make uh, light of it, but it's the biggest game of the season for these teams because you really don't want to be the team without a win, and you really, really don't want to be the team without a win after playing the only other team without a win. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm a little confused, but yes, yeah, somebody, somebody is going to have a win tomorrow, Ben, and a Mizzou team that has had a rough week, the loss to Arkansas, where they really were they had it handed to them for most of that ball game before making it close in garbage time. And then the the scary news about their assistant coach, Dickie Nutt, dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Again, it sounds like the prognosis is good. They caught it in its early stages. But a rough week, and 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 you try to turn this thing around. And, and again, we start to sound like a broken record, and I, and I understand that. But I'll continue to say this SEC schedule is not as daunting as it could have been. There are games where you can say – they're not completely out of the mix here. Now, uh, in a lot of those games so far, the the script has been, Ben, Mizzou knocked down two or three shots to start, then watch the opponent knock down like 10 shots. You're down by 10 or 12. You cut the lead to like two or four by the time halftime rolls around. Maybe you take the lead in the second half before you run out of gas the last five or six minutes. Now, Ben, they did not follow that script against Arkansas, and that was... That was the first time they really didn't follow a, a, a script close to that. And the first time where they just looked like a disjointed team with the exception of Tamar Bates. And I think tomorrow is an opportunity against a team that is also desperate. They're not hapless. Vanderbilt's got talent, coached by Jerry Stackhouse. But wow, their resume is ugly. At least Mizzou's got some good road wins on their schedule. And um, you can look at non-conference and point to some good things they did. Vanderbilt, Ben, they do not have that. And uh, this is a team that has really scuffled. You feel like it's tough for them to really have a home court advantage down there in Nashville, especially when they're playing rough. I think Mizzou can go down there and and, and maybe do what they've done. They've They've looked better on the road, quite frankly, than they have at home and I think it's an opportunity for I think the first thing Ben to to maybe kind of set the course back to a place that might feature some victories is is to get some confidence with this team this for the for a while now especially on the offensive end it's looked like a team that just doesn't always feel like uh they're capable of doing it the confidence has been low and Ben what better way to gain some confidence than getting a win yeah, we can't talk about stacking up wins until you find a way to get a win. A win, right. But 
before you can get a win, you've got to flush whatever that was performance-wise against the Razorbacks because people can scoff at this. That's fine. Look, we're talking about a winless team in conference play, so nobody wants to hear about, well, some games have been close. I get it. Missouri has been competitive in a lot of these games. They were not competitive against Arkansas, and you're not going to win a game where you don't look the part, where you don't look like you've got a bounce in your step or a snarl. Um, and, and Missouri at times um, has looked like a team that is up for the fight. They did not look that way against Arkansas at home. The numbers back this point. Um, Missouri is one of only three teams in the SEC with a with a negative point differential, but they're they're negative by two tenths of a point. Um, that tells you something. Vanderbilt, the team they're playing against, that also win us, is 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 a, in the red six points. Um, you know, Georgia's th- up three and a half points. LSU's up four and a half. Texas A&M's up five and a half. We're not talking double digits. There are a lot of teams right there that are kind of plus or minus five points compared to their season that are, that are having seasons that they feel pretty encouraged about. Yeah, Auburn's up 16.6 points. Okay, yes, that's a different team. We're talking Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, all in double digits. But you go after that, five South Carolina, um, all the way down to, all the way down to Georgia, are all four to eight, eight and a half points in point differential over the course of the season. They're they're finding ways to win close games. Missouri is Missouri has found ways to lose close games, but now they're trending toward finding lopsided games. And before you can win one, you got to get back to playing close games, and that's going to be a, a real tell for this team. Is was that thing against Arkansas? Was it a was it a sign of what's to come, or was it a chance for this team to say, "Hey, that's not us. Win or lose, the, the effort, the energy's got to be better than that." Well, even in the rough game against Arkansas, Tamar Bates still shined. Twenty nine points was ten of ten from the free throw line. But Ben, another guy I think that we should talk about that has seen more opportunities. He started the last three games, and somebody that you have really pressed to get more chances. It's the freshman Jordan Butler. And the, the overall production, not really there. He doesn't take that many shots. I, I hope he's not as adverse to shooting like we've seen Aiden Shaw be. Uh, we have seen him take a few threes, so I think he's got confidence from three. I, I would focus on shooting more around the rim than the three, but I guess it's good that he's got some confidence out there, Ben. Um, I, I, I feel like he rebounds the ball well. He's got some good shot-blocking numbers. He, he's, fouled, he's fouled out of one game. He's played in foul trouble against AM and didn't only played 13 minutes against Arkansas but did score four points where do you think Butler Jordan Butler is in his progression I, I almost want to say he's maybe surpassed Anthony Robinson on our freshman depth chart it was Trent Pierce during non-conference he's flattened out to where he doesn't really play that much Robinson's kind of been hit and miss Butler maybe there's something there Ben well, I think this is exactly what you want to see from a season that is trending in this direction. Dennis Gates wants to walk out of this season and say, that's not us, but we had some growing pains that will be paying dividends immediately. And one thing we've seen is for five consecutive games now, this young man is playing double-digit minutes, played 24 minutes in the loss to Texas A&M, has played no fewer than, no fewer than 13 um, going back to the Alabama game where he where he was the first time in a while, more than a handful of games where we've seen him play double-digit amount of minutes. They're leaning in toward letting him 
take his bumps and lumps on the fly, and I think he'll be better for it. Um, look, he's seven feet tall. He's 230 pounds. I'd like to see him start playing like it. I feel like sometimes he plays smaller than what he is, and that's not surprising. That's that's pretty common sometimes with a, with a young player, but he's got to understand he's a big, strong, physical dude and that there aren't guys, even in this physical league, that can that can – be pushed that can push him around if he doesn't allow it and I think that's a mental thing for him and I think one of the ways you have to you have to crack through that is just to keep playing and and to go through some things and if there's a silver lining it's that this this team can't allow him to do that so you just got to keep putting him out there you got to keep breathing building confidence in him and you've got to encourage the good things and coach the bad things but you got to keep playing him and I think that's the right way to do it um, I know there's been some off the court stuff for some of these younger guys. They've had some illnesses. They've had some family situations, um, and, and, and those are those are things that you don't ignore. But consistently, if they're healthy, if they're available, I think Dennis Gates has got to lean into continuing to throw these guys out there. You may not see a big game for Jordan Butler this year, but I I think it's realistic to say you'll see some next year, and you yeah. can say. That, that that this was building toward that. No doubt about it. We'll talk more hoops next hour. Ben Arnett is going to join us. We'll talk football next. Adam Rittenberg joins us. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550. All right, we continue here. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We're pleased to welcome back to the program. He is ESPN's senior college football writer, Adam Rittenberg, kind enough uh, to join us again. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great. How you doing? We're fantastic. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us tonight and a, and a ton of college football news to, to chat about this evening. It's something that's just kind of... Uh, come up here today this uh, uh, maybe strategic and uh, I don't know should I use the word alliance between the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference uh, Adam what do we what should we make of this this alliance makes uh, a lot more sense in some ways than the previous one um, especially given where the sport is headed with the power and money concentrated between these two leagues and it's an early phase of, of something that could become very important. I think it's it's significant that the communications lines are are open between the Big Ten and the SEC, who have been rivals, but also are realistic about the fact that, you know, uh, they, they have by far the, uh, the, the, the biggest group of, of truly relevant programs and rich programs in the sport. So, interesting to see where this goes as far as um, you know, who have the loudest voices and who maybe steers the alliance, if it is an alliance, one way or the other. But um, it does make a lot of sense uh, that, that there um, is a, a clear and defined um, uh, body that is now combining both commerces and, and could obviously enact change in the future. Is this necessarily, Adam, our next step towards getting towards what some have called the, the power two with, the, with these two leagues? Well, I think that, that that's a reasonable conclusion. Uh, now, it, it sounds like that they're not at a point where they want to discuss you know, breaking away from the NCAA, but you know, it's going to be the power two no matter what. Um, yeah, It doesn't mean that a, a, a team from the Big 12 or the ACC or, or what have you can't compete for a national championship every now and then. But for the most part, the, the most powerful brands and the, 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 the wealthiest teams are going to be in these in these two conferences. So, um, you know what what they get out of this uh, um, th this group is going to be you know notable. But um, I, I think no matter what, 
this is where the sport is headed. Adam, it sure seems like a lot of this is being um, spun off of or fueled by this NIL investigation into Tennessee. And this is fascinating to me, what's going on in Knoxville. And I I think a lot of programs around the country are going to follow this exact Tennessee playbook and have really been waiting um, to see if they're going to get the invitation to do so by an NIL and quote investigation. Um, It seems to me like these states that were super aggressive on NIL laws are basically unified with their state governments and they're going to come out kind of swinging on all fronts, players, university side, academic side, athletic side, and also state legislature side against the NCAA. Um, What do you think is the fallout from this? The NCAA, I don't think will back down, but I don't know that they can win any of the stuff that this goes to court. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's interesting which situations the NCAA chooses to come after and which coaches or which athletes or which collectives. Um, so, you know, it, it's something that I think, to your point, and you guys are obviously in a state that has been aggressive in the NIL uh, space to help its, you know, main, main school there in Missouri. Um, there is a lot of alignment. And so you're going to see these pushbacks. And, and, and let's face it, the NCAA's recent record in the courtroom has been has been pretty poor. So it does make sense to see um, you know, some of these attorney generals and these schools uh, uh, taking legal action against the NCAA because it's been in a weakened position. But, um, you know, I think the NCAA's point is that when the, when the situations are so egregious, uh, they can't just sit there. And this is a situation that they believe they have solid footing to, to pursue um, you know, significant penalties against Tennessee. And, and I guess we'll find out who's right. But uh, it's certainly heading for a showdown in that state. I, I wonder um, if the NCAA almost kind of has the the effect of, okay, if, if a school is going to come out fighting this hard, do you reach that much harder to try to make an example of it? Because there, there seem to be two ways that fighting back against the NCAA goes. You either get them to stand down, like, I mean, point to like the North Carolina academic misconduct case years ago, which kind of I think was one of the first of saying, okay, fight back and you might win. There's also, you know, an example that Missouri faced with its own academic issue where it, it kind of tried to play nice and felt like it, it didn't work. But then you've also seen schools kind of talk a big game and maybe get punished a little more for it. How many schools do you think are kind of watching how this plays out with Tennessee to kind of base maybe how how they would approach that call if it came from the NCAA? Well, I think you have to watch and, and learn. And, you know, every situation is a little bit different, but generally – um, I, I think the aggressiveness is going to be the interesting part of this because typically, like to your point, you know, you want to avoid significant NCAA penalties. The playbook has been to cooperate and to find a negotiated resolution and to, you know, essentially cower to the NCAA. But you're not seeing that here in the Tennessee case. Florida State maybe a little bit more so. It seemed like they wanted to move forward. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that, in Tennessee doesn't seem to be to be in that in that in that space, and so uh, how this shakes out legally and from a NCA infraction standpoint is certainly going to be instructive because you know anyone who looks at what Tennessee is accused of uh, and who's involved and thinks oh that's just an isolated incident you're you're, you're not paying attention. There there are a lot of similar things that have gone on around uh, the sport since NIL came into effect that are around that in that same group of in that same category 
We're visiting with uh, Adam Rittenberg from uh, ESPN, their senior college football writer, as uh, we dig into a lot of the news that uh, continues seemingly to filter out each and every day as we're now several weeks several several weeks removed from the end of the season. Adam, we saw a, a couple of days ago, I think the head coach at Boston College leave his post there for a BC team that seemed to have the arrow pointing up, and he takes a coordinator's position in the NFL, I believe with the Green Bay Packers, uh, leaving the uh, the head coaching position behind. Do you feel like this is a, a trend that is potentially going to continue where even head coaches at somewhat high-profile jobs in, in the college game will leave for seemingly lesser high-profile jobs um, at, at the NFL level? Well, I, I, listen, it's not going to be the last time you see this, but I think it's important to look at every situation individually and the circumstances around it. You know, Jeff Halfley is coached in the NFL. Um, and that was always a possibility for him to return to the, to the pro ranks where he had some, you know, he had, at least had some experience. Then you look at Boston College. You know, they're not part of these two leagues that we're talking about. They're in the ACC. They're also one of the weaker programs in the ACC, um, at least from a financial standpoint. Last year, there was some buzz, uh, at least in the first half of the season, about Halfley's job. Uh, and then, you know, this year they have a very tough schedule. So, um, you know, maybe there was some job pressure behind the scenes, especially with an athletic director who didn't hire him. So, you know, will there be other coaches who, who maybe look to make these moves? Yes. I mean, I was talking to a coach who was deciding between a very high-profile coordinator job in college or a you know, much lower profile, lower paid position coach job in the NFL. And he had a decision to make. Now, he ultimately chose the college job. But, um, you, know, you know, someone brought up Liam Cohen, who's the target for the, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive coordinator job from Kentucky. But Liam Cohen was in the NFL like two years ago. And so um, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be this massive exodus because the money's still really good in, in college. I also just don't think the way it is right now is going to be the way it is in, 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 in a, a very short period of time because it's, it's unsustainable to operate a sport the way the college football is, is, is right now with the schedule. Well, you, you monitored and, and certainly were on top of the Jim Harbaugh situation, Adam, as he wins a national championship at Michigan. And I don't think to anyone's surprise, leaves for the NFL officially joining the L.A. Chargers uh, introduced yesterday as their new head coach. What do you make of Michigan's situation? They they hire uh, you know Coach Collins who had uh, who as as their uh, offensive coordinator comes in and and does a spectacular job when Harbaugh was suspended by the Big Ten at the end of the year. How do you feel like the Wolverines came out on the other end of what was seemingly a never ending soap opera with Harbaugh that that ended in a championship? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the, the only decision that they could make at the time, in part because it was so late when Jim ended up taking the Chargers job. And a lot of the candidates who I think would have made sense uh, externally to replace Jim had taken jobs. You know, Kalen DeBoer had left Washington for Alabama. Jed Fish, who was a, a former uh, quarterbacks coach under Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, had replaced um, uh, DeBoer at Washington. So uh, there were just, you know, the, the, the external candidate pool wasn't that robust. And there was tremendous support internally for for Sharon Moore, and uh, I think you know they have a guy they believe is absolutely a, a rising star in coaching. 
He's got great respect within the program. I think the way he handled the toughest stretch of the season with Harbaugh not there for the games, you know, won over a lot of people. But you know, I think if somebody told me today who's connected to Michigan, the expectations are going to be outrageous. And how he handles those, especially with a team this coming season that just doesn't look nearly as strong as the one that just won a national champion is going to be very interesting to see. But, I, I, again, this made a lot of sense, especially for an athletic director in Ward Manuel who's faced quite a bit of internal criticism for various things. This was the safe and I think the smart move for him to just bump up Sharon Moore and try to maintain the continuity coming off of a championship. And I'm always coach more the best, and he certainly earned this opportunity. But I, it always seems to me like the promotion of the interim coach, it rarely, there are examples where it works out, and there are other examples where it looks emotional about a year later, and you're wondering, did you pass up a chance to have a full-fledged search for a program that would have had a lot of coaches begging to come there? So I'm curious to see that. I'm wondering about who has the harder job. Is it more trying to step into Harbaugh's khakis after a national championship or is it uh, Kalen DeBoer, who is the ultimate case of you've got to really believe in yourself to be the guy who replaces the goat? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, they're, they're hard for different reasons. But I, I do think Michigan fans, even though they've gotten a taste of national success finally, you'll realize that their program is, is, is not necessarily set up to compete nationally every year like Alabama's has been. And Alabama fans have just been so spoiled because you look at what the program uh, how it performed before Nick got there, uh, you know, mediocre to to below that. I mean, it, it was not a great program, and I think there are some you know things that he did and and uh, you know, to make it such a destination for recruits and assistants and and uh, in, in building out the program. So I I, I think Kalen has the tougher of the two uh, jobs, but I also think he's you know a little bit better equipped having been a head coach. And I really think it helps him that he's different than Nick Saban. I think it would have been very hard for a, a, a former Saban assistant or somebody who is very connected to Alabama to follow him. You know, Kalen is different, and if he sticks to that, I think he can have success in his own way. Is it going to result in all those national championships? I don't know if anyone's going to be able to do that. But I, I do think he can, he can compete nationally, which is what Alabama obviously expects after the Saban era. Well, we can expect Alabama fans to have reasonable expectations. That's one thing we can uh, we can count on. Hey, what program, and maybe it's in the SEC, um, heck, maybe there's some Missouri elements to this. We'll see. But what program do you think automatically wakes up the day after Nick Saban retires and feels like um, things are better um, or they have a chance to maybe yeah. capitalize on him walking through that door? I mean, it sure seems like Kirby is turning Georgia into – um, a version of Alabama, um, and maybe that even started before Nick Saban retired. So I, I, I look at Georgia, but are there other programs that you feel like took a step up just by Saban saying, hey, I'm going to go play a little more golf? Well, I think you, you, the, the league looks differently right now, right? Because you have, you know, Georgia's kind of head and shoulders um, above everyone, but then you have Missouri, you have Tennessee, which has come on here lately. LSU has at least had. 10 win season. Texas A&M is still down, but you know has a chance to um, rise a little bit with a with a coaching change. Texas comes in having just made the playoff, but so I think all those teams have an opportunity. Uh, maybe even Auburn, Ole Miss has a very very strong team coming back. Maybe their best team under under Lane Kiffin. So I think as Alabama settles in under a new coach and you know tries to maintain its place in the pecking order, but maybe falls down initially. You know, there is real opportunity this year. You know, after Georgia 
to sort of be that second team in the conference. You know, so I think there's great chance for Missouri, Ole Miss. Um, you know, we'll see how LSU uh, replaces Jaden Daniels and if they can improve on the defensive side of the ball, which they absolutely have to, uh, given what we saw last year. You know, Tennessee, where are they? Um, Florida is so far down. I mean, that, that, that's the program that, you know, again, Florida is eventually going to get it together. And that's going to change the, the landscape of the SEC whenever they do. But I also think Alabama is not going to be down for very long, if, if, if long at all. Adam, in the, in the coaching circles that, uh, that, that you talk with and, and the, the sources around the sport of college football, do you get a sense that there's a feeling what Coach Drink did last year at Mizzou that it's, that it's sustainable moving forward? You know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think at, you know, at the level that they performed, um, it's going to be difficult. You know, certainly top ten level uh, type type seasons every year. But I think Missouri, and you saw this under Gary Pinkle, and I think there's a, a different roadmap, but also one that's led to success under under Drink that that's allowed them to be you know a program of relevance in the SEC. And you saw them. I mean, they were the team that was really unafraid of going in, 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 into Georgia and, and giving them a game. And until, you know, really other than Missouri, you know, no one challenged Georgia until they lost to Alabama. You know, I I looked at it as a a weakened version of Georgia because of all the injuries. But um, until then, Missouri was was the team that stood up to them. So that was a great, a great moment. Um, Again, I just don't see, I don't think Missouri is set up to be top 10 every year. But I also think that they're set up to be, you know, a consistent uh, you know, seven, eight, nine win team that that occasionally competes for the playoff, and they're one of those programs that will really benefit from an expanded playoff because you know it, it'll be you know it'll be more realistic uh, for for a Missouri to make the CFP now versus how it was at four. Adam Rittenberg, senior college football writer for ESPN, does a great job covering the sport and uh, is always kind to join us here on the Big 550. Adam, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and look forward to catching up with you uh, throughout the year. Okay, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Adam, thanks. We're going to get into uh, a lot of a lot of what he had to say when we come back. It's our Mizzou game plan here on the Big 550. All right, it was great to have Adam Rittenberg on the show last segment as we, as we welcome you back to our Mizzou game plan show here on the Big 550 KTRS. And, and Ben, a, a lot to sift through on the national scene right now. And again, the the story that may not be making the the big rounds yet I, I I do think everyone does need to pay attention to what's going on with the Big Ten and the SEC I think they're certainly sending the message about again as Adam said maybe not something that's imminent right now but the long and the short of it is maybe there is already a big two it's the Big Ten it's the SEC and they're going to sort of control how things continue to develop in uh, in the larger landscape of college football. Well, I tell you what, um, it may not be directly related to what this situation is at Tennessee and this NIL um, investigation, but it sure feels like basically all of the big dogs were waiting for the NCAA to step on the wrong set of toes, and now all of a sudden the, the cannons are out and they're 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 rolling for the NCAA in unison and. There have been threats before, but this this kind of feels like when you get one of those news reports about a country that's not supposed to be having uh, ships in certain waters, and all of a sudden you, you find out there's multiple ones, it feels like a hostile act to me toward the NCAA, a little bit more than just the normal saber-rattling that we hear. These power programs in the Big Ten and the SEC, they 
want to spend money on players. They want to spend money on recruiting. They are okay if they are told, hey, look, um, look, you can't really make this about recruiting, but just kind of hide it. Um, you can use it for NIL, but you can't really be open about it. But if the NCAA is going to come and start trying to snoop through their their garbage, and when everybody knows what this is really about, this NIL is being used for recruiting, they're going to push back. They're not going to just accept significant um, penalties when they know everybody's doing the same thing. And this does feel like a a sea change in some ways where these programs are saying, Hey, we all know we're doing this instead of getting all hot and bothered about something we all know we're doing. Let's unify and tell the NCAA stop looking into this, stop going through this. We don't care. And you guys told us to come up with these NIL rules ourselves. So pick something else to look into, or we may just break off and do this thing on our own. And, and maybe it is just the SEC and the Big Ten, Ben, but I, at some point, right, we've got to have someone that is like the czar or use the word commissioner, what have you. Somebody's got to be in charge of this entire apparatus. It can't be the head executive of the college football playoff. It can't just be Greg Sankey as as sort of the ghost commissioner of everything that goes on (laughs) in the world of college sports like he's sort of been maybe just make it official maybe add that to his list of job titles right now but somebody needs to man this thing ben to where it i mean it's it's been going off the rails for a long long time and this is in no defense of what the ncaa is is doing investigating tennessee for something that his has been there front and center, and they want to argue about how Tennessee's doing their NIL business. But somebody's got to you know, chart a course here that is one that's not zigging to the left, zigging to the right, find a way to, to stay on a, on a path that's moving straight ahead. And whether that's next week, next month, next year, it's it's got to happen again if for anything else just the the betterment of 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 the sport of college football i i wasn't kidding when i said last year was college football's last great season it turned into a joke but there was a a lot of seriousness into what i was saying and there's a chance there's a lot of great years to come but you got to come up with some guardrails you got to figure out a way to have uh, everyone going in the same direction and and it and quite frankly Ben it not be at the behest of whatever this is left the shell of the NCAA well it sure feels like um, two two outcomes come of this first of all sidebar the Big Ten is lucky that Greg Sankey would allow the Big Ten to be joined in this group no kidding if the Big Ten has any common sense it will just say hey Greg just decide what we're gonna do and we're with you <laughs> and stay out of his way. He's the most powerful person in college sports. He views the landscape better than anybody. He's the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't have to act like it's known. And the Big Ten is full of people who like to think they're smart and make fools out of themselves anytime they've got to make a decision that's not just drafting off of the SEC's choices, which are Greg Sankey's choices. So uh, smart on the Big Ten to, to partner up with the SEC, let the SEC lead, would be my advice. It feels to me like this goes one of two ways. Um... One is is the Big Ten and the SEC saying, look, we really we see the amateur mo- amateurism model ending, 
and we're not going to ignore it like the NCAA. We're going to be proactive and embrace it, and we're going to basically leave. We're going to get out from underneath the NCAA. We'll figure out what that means, and we're going to make football the crown jewel of that, and we are going to, we're going to basically let the NCAA pick up the pieces of what it is without us. Um, don't be surprised if in the coming years the amateurism model fails and that happens. The other way to do this, and this is the way the NCAA should encourage, is a similar thing to what the NCAA did with NIL. The NCAA saw that it that it really had no way of stopping this, so it kind of created what what is basically a slush fund. That's what NIL is. It allows the NCAA to claim amateurism when it no longer is, but it it it, it allows it to happen to where players, programs, they're not throwing fits because they're finding ways to compete and get players paid. If the NCAA wants to reverse that, they're going to have a real problem. What they could do instead would be to say, look. If you're in the Big Ten, if you're in the SEC, if you're in other leagues that want to choose to play in the unrestricted waters pool, we will basically give you different rules, that they will set different enforcement, that they will focus on smarter things like student-athlete wellness or mental health or all these different things as opposed to trying to slap programs on the wrist that are simply maximizing whatever they can do under NIL. The faster the NCAA gets out of the business of trying to hold Florida State or Tennessee accountable for what players are getting paid, the better and longer lasting the NCAA can survive. If they're going to continue to double down on this idea that they are going to be the, you know, the uh, Texas Rangers of not the baseball team, (laughs) the enforcement arm of college athletics when it comes to pay for playing, they're going to be they're going to be basically as equivalent as a police officer who rides up to a high speed chase on a horse. They're going to be laughed at and they're going to be worked around and they're going to be left in the dust. So I think until they basically accept what they know, they're not going to stop. Then they're setting themselves up to encourage these power power programs, which are, let's be honest, basically operating at a professional sports level. They're going to encourage them to to leave um look the baltimore Orioles just sold for what was it a billion and change it's low i think but you can't tell me that alabama football if it went up for sale today (laughs) wouldn't be worth significantly more than that we're not talking about college sports here anymore not the way we used to know it and if the ncaa is not going to change then these powerful schools a lot of money on the line they're they're just going to leave them i've got a simplistic approach ben i think we're kind of on the same page here i would say one the NCAA needs to realize they're no longer the business of FBS football. And really, have they ever been? The The NCAA does not recognize the championship that Michigan just won. They don't recognize the championship, the back-to-back championships that Georgia won before that. They don't recognize the split national championship Michigan and Nebraska had back in 1997. The NCAA has never recognized an FBS championship. That's why all of their trophies look so funky, Ben. You know, any other NCAA trophy that's got that nice mahogany, uh, it, it's like wood, and it's something that you'll see in a in a in a major university's trophy case. No matter where you go, Division One, Division Three, um, wherever. Those trophies have never existed for the FBS. So one, the NCAA, they just need to say, okay. You guys figure this out at the FBS level. We're going to go ahead and, and bow out gracefully now as we really don't do anything. 
exact ex- I mean, you could keep the NCAA name on it for now, but you guys figure out your thing for FBS football moving forward. We're going to get out. And then, then the NCAA, Ben, they've got to get out of the business of enforcement because it, it, it is this NIL era. And there is no, un, there is, there shouldn't be any anyway, any more under the table dealings. Everything's out in the open now. It's NIL, and it it's the way the the every sport that can do it. It's the way it's going. And the NCAA, they've got to figure out a way. How do we throw just kick butt championships in every other sport that we run? Be it Division One college basketball, which is. Uh, the greatest championship out there in March Madness. Um, it maybe it's Division Three softball. Maybe it's Division Two tennis. They've got to find a way to run the best championships. Find a way to get them out to the masses more than they even do right now, and not just men's basketball, but everything else. And they've got to concentrate on that, Ben, and leave the world of Division One FBS college football to someone else because you said it it is a different world it's not amateurism that we're accustomed to it's been that way for a long time and the sooner the ncaa stops worrying about that the sooner maybe we can get to a point where this new look college football can land and 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 find its new identity or an identity that's already been out there but just under a different name yeah and i would go I would go the other way where I would keep as much of a footprint in college football as you can, but just scale back the enforcement side of it and focus on stuff that is actually hurting college athletes. Focus on um, these college athletes who are dealing with threats of, of people trying to get at them for betting scandals. Hammer that. I mean, that's something that I think everybody can say, yes, investigate, you know, set your stop caring about the guy at Tennessee who signed a perfectly worded contract built by elite lawyers to to go to Tennessee, yes, but it's worded in, in a way that in the court of law it can't be proven that it was. These lawyers are good, okay? They're good because there's money there. The NCAA's lawyers are not going to beat these lawyers, not when they've got state lawmakers that have their back. So focus on things that are actually detrimental to the game. Focus on making it so an Alabama baseball coach who's making $600,000 a year can't be betting on his own team and hammer him to infinity and beyond if he does root that out of the game because it's a it's much more a threat to the integrity of sports college sports as we know it as nil is um focus on how these kids who are going from rutgers to ucla for conference games are going to have any sort of semblance of of a, of a college career that's that's not simply getting on a plane there are real problems in college sports that the NCAA can and should address. The more resources they have are built by the most, the best resources are built by things that football generates. So just get out of the petty enforcement game, realize what NIL is. It's a slush fund that allows you to operate under the shamager as a model and try to find ways to do that. Good. Try to find good ways to, to, to make that work. There are good things. The NCAA does. It's not this big evil thing but it gets that perception when it picks the really dumb things to try to come cracking down on so it's unfortunate because it's probably going to get blown up and the folks who are in charge of it can't seem to modernize fast enough but uh man if you if you take away if you break out college football on its own as its own separate thing 
then you're going to see a lot of a lot of sports suffer because you'll have you'll have programs dropping sports. You'll have um, you know title the, the strides that Title Nine made will will in large ways be pushed back. I mean, like it or not, college football funds a lot of stuff, and if you let that be its own entity and tell college athletic departments that their football checks are going to be for football only and can't be dispersed to other things, then uh, then you're going to see a lot of what we like about college sports that's not football be dented because of it, and I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think it was a misspeak on your part. Shamateurism, did I hear that right? I did, correct, yes. Love it. I didn't coin that. I didn't coin oh, that. Um, I'm going to assume I, I you was, did. <laughs> I was on the front lines. Um, I think Stuart Mandel was also on this. Maybe Pat Forty. I was one of the one of among the first to call for a commissioner of college sen- common sense in the NCAA. Just a job probably belongs to Greg Sankey if he would take it of someone who just says that's going to make us look like idiots. Let's not do that. And they get ultimate <laughs> veto power of anything dumb that's about to come out of the NCAA. Like when someone says, "Hey." Let's save a bunch of money by giving the women's NCAA tournament significantly terrible um, facilities and food compared to the men's tournament, where every player has a cell phone and they're going to document the difference. Someone to step in and say, you know what, find the money to give the women's the women's players a proper meal so we don't look like idiots. That would be the best job for the NCAA, and unfortunately, they don't seem to have anyone who can fill it. Yeah. <laughs> right about that i'm I'm available i'm happy to take it (laughs) It, well i I think you'd do a heck of a job i think we could probably line up uh, a bunch of folks uh, in in our line of work band that could do better than what the ncaa has been doing here as of late and it's again i i think uh the the signs are out there the flares have been sent up that the the winds of change have been blowing for a long time and if the ncaa doesn't wake up I, I mean, I'd be serious when I say we're, we'd be in jeopardy of losing the things, Ben, that the NCAA does well, like the men's basketball tournament, like the women's basketball tournament when, again, they're not letting the players go hungry. Um, it's they, they do a good job of, of putting those events on. And again, if they're not careful, that could those could be in jeopardy too. I, and as crazy as that sounds with the amount of money they make um, – just don't don't underestimate the NCAA's ability to screw things up. Never, never do that. And and I'd also say this: if you think the NCAA is going to go into courtrooms and win lawyered up battles against schools like Tennessee and Florida State and Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan. You haven't been following how the NCAA has gotten kicked in the teeth every time they've gone to court <laughs> over something that they're trying to not allow a student athlete to do. If if it's against the NCAA versus student athletes who under the NCAA's model are unpaid amateurs, the NCAA is going to lose every time. And if they're continued to stick themselves into the wood chipper of the legal system, then they're just going to be torn apart limb by limb. Yet they continue to do it. And, and I think that's what schools like Tennessee are doing now, where they're saying, come for us. And we got the state lawmakers who helped us write this NIL law. We've got student athletes who are going to be weaponized as advocates on their own behalf. We've got outspoken athletic directors that are in line with school presidents. And you're basically going against a united front of an entire state. I don't think they can win those. And I think these schools know it. And I think Missouri knows it. I think in, in this particularly relevant, what's going on at Tennessee to Missouri, because look at Tennessee's law. 
the NIL law. Look at whose is very similar. And I've been told, and I believe this, that if the NCAA comes calling for Missouri on anything related to NIL, that you're going to see a response. And I was told this before we saw Tennessee's response. I think you would see a response that's incredibly similar to what Tennessee is doing on a, on a statewide front. Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't happen, but I'd love to see that response. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued by that for sure. Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey with the HR Mizzou Game Plan Show. A ton of different directions we're going tonight. We'll come back and talk about what's happening at some of the college football all-star games the last few days. Harrison Mevis at the Shrine Game. Uh, among others, and Darius Robinson tearing up the Senior Bowl. That will be played, believe, tomorrow, uh, if not tonight. But with the Senior Bowl, it's always about the practices. That's where guys start to shine, and that's what Darius Robinson has done. We'll talk about D-Rob, Cody Schrader, Harrison Mebus, and others when we come back after this. Second hour of our Mizzou game plan is on the air here on the Big 550 KTRS. We'll get you ready for Mizzou and Vanderbilt coming up a little bit later. They'll play tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock pregame, 2.30 tip on the Big 550. Ben Ornette will join us in our next segment, sports director at KOMU in Columbia. And Ben, I, I want to talk, stay talking some football right now because another thing that is kind of quietly happening it it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the two-week walk-up to the Super Bowl, which we are in the middle of right now. Of course, a week from Sunday is the big game. But the Senior Bowl is tomorrow, and I hinted at this a little bit earlier. The The, game, the Senior Bowl itself is is sort of a, a letdown when you compare it to the week and the week of practice where – You've got a ton of scouts on hand to take this in, and they'll tell you how a player performs at these senior bowl practices are most of the time ultimately more important than they than what they do in in a game that is played, but ultimately, you know, it's played to make sure everybody stays healthy. It's an exhibition, it's an all-star game, it's for fun, right? But it's to get noticed. By these NFL scouts and Ben, Darius Robinson, a guy that I think we knew had NFL aspirations, and then you watch him the last year, and it's like, okay, yeah, this guy's got NFL talent, one of the real sparks and leaders of that Mizzou defense. And apparently with what's happened this week at the Senior Bowl practices, Ben, it's become very apparent that Darius Robinson might, in fact, be a first-round NFL draft talent that folks are going to have to be aware of. Well, I'll tell you what, they better not dig into his off-the-field credentials because they'll find out that he used his NIL money to buy local students at elementary schools backpacks, um, which may not may, – he may, he may just be too nice of a guy <laughs> yeah, no for, for the NFL. Uh, so just a, a concern there, of course, kidding. He's a – an outstanding guy was a great ambassador for Mizzou and kind of before our eyes turned into a guy who looks like he should be a first round draft pick. Um, I've encouraged folks to do this before, but if you want to know what uh, a career, a college career in the weight room with the proper nutrition can do for a player, go look at Darius's pictures when he was a freshman compared to when he graduated. And it is a, uh, it's like a different guy. Um, he's twitchy. He's fast great speed burst big physical um went up against uh, some of the best you know mature 
offensive line prospects at the senior bowl practices and my timeline. And I wasn't like queued up to see a bunch of senior bowl stuff. It was just flooded with videos of Darius Robinson destroying guys, um, including some of his former teammates. But he was getting to in these drills, which are just drooled over by these NFL scouts. He was basically running through anybody they put in front of him and looked to be one of the biggest, most physical physically dominant guys out there and now you're starting to see some of the quotes and some of the reports that are coming out and sometimes you wonder is a guy going to help his stock hurt his stock by going to this it's pretty clear i think darius robinson helped his stock and it's just fun to see because we watched this guy play and we saw it and i'd also point out like he took a huge bet on himself on on blake baker on eli drinkwitz this last season at mizzou because he was a very effective interior defensive lineman and they kind of said hey we we think you can do some things outside on the edge and we think you can help this defense. We also think you can help your, you know, your pro um, projectables if it works. But what if it didn't? I mean, what if he went out there and had a dud of a season and could he have hurt his stock by coming back? He took the risk, put in the work, trusted his coaches and had a heck of a season. And now I think NFL teams are like, well, yeah, we thought this guy could be a, a defensive tackle, but now he's proven he can be and he's proven he can come off the edge. This is a versatile player that um, if you're in the NFL, you're thinking he's got a lot more different things he could do than maybe what you thought a year ago. He's It's not a direct comparison, but he's sort of the Kobe Brown on the football side, Ben. Yeah, where, no, it's a great comparison. Uh, kind of like this guy This guy bloomed in his final year. Exactly, you know? and and it, it looks like he can be a first-round talent. And to me, Ben, it, and we've seen how a, how – NFL teams view defensive linemen, right? And the days of the big linemen, it was a Gilbert Brown who was at Green Bay. The dude was like 375, bordering on 400 pounds. Those type of D linemen don't exist anymore because the emphasis on the on the run, on the running game has changed and you need you need big guys, but you need athletic guys on that defensive front. And Robinson Ben strikes me as somebody that he'll land on an NFL team and he can ask him, what do you want me to do? Because I can do anything you need me to do. You want me to defend the run? I can defend the run. You want me to get after the quarterback? I can do that. You want me to be on, you know, a, a, a stand-up rushing outside linebacker? Yeah, count me in. I, I, I can do that and excel at that. I feel like he's going to give NFL teams so many options because he's done it all very well at Mizzou and apparently doing it all very well this week at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, showed a willingness to be versatile, which is a huge thing. Um, you know, you don't have to come off the field if it's a passing situation, and he doesn't have to. Um, you don't want to be the guy who only comes in and, and when it's time for the offense to run the ball because more times than not now, they're not going to, especially if they see the, the run package come in. So his versatility is huge. Man, if you just watch some of these videos, his burst, his speed, his lateral quickness, I mean, he's, an, he's a very, very highly skilled athlete for his size. And that's the, the thing now in the modern NFL game. you got to be an athlete. You might be 400 pounds, but you better be able to move. And if not, then then you're not going to be in there long, or you're going to have a very limited role. So, and then the fact is, they're going he's they're going to sit down to interview this young man, and he's going to blow him away. Yep. Um. So, but if you have all of the, you know, the NFL cares about doing the job; it doesn't care about who you are. Let's not kid ourselves. But if you can do the job, and you sit down to interview, and you're 
a very impressive person to speak with and fun to get to know, then it helps your case. And I, I can't imagine that there are going to be many guys who make this trip to the senior bowl and, and come away with having helped their stock more based off some of the things we've read. Um, I'd also add that you were totally right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if he gets a single tackle in the game because what, what this is about is being in front of these guys and these, these drills and skill tests and get a chance to interact with some folks. And um, I think that he, the bulk of his work is behind him there and he did a great job. It's, and, and as you said, a, a guy that used his NIL money to donate to young kids in and around Columbia. Now I know yeah. he's not the only one that has done stuff like that. I think, I want to say J.J. McCarthy at Michigan has done similar things with his NIL money. But for for any college kid, Ben, and you're given, I don't know, whatever, $25,000, $50,000, $100,000, half a million dollars, and what you're able to do with that money, we can probably count on a few hands or less how many guys said, you know what, I'm going to use a lot of this money and, and give it back to my community before he had again before you kind of have a chance to spend it on yourself right that's what Darius Robinson did and um again the physical tools speak for themselves when you look at his uh, character and off the field what who Darius Robinson is that's sh- I mean if that doesn't help him climb draft boards with that ability then I, I think some NFL teams are gonna are gonna miss out on a guy that uh, is going to be able to help their team in a lot of different ways. Yeah, if, they, if he falls, somebody's going to get a steal. We also saw a clip, I don't know if you saw this one, of, of Cody Schrader absolutely um, just juking a poor guy out of his see cleats. That. Yeah. I mean, just, 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 just leaving some poor guy crumpled on the, on the turf. I thought, well, that's kind of funny because if there's one thing that Cody's not known for, it's his ankle-breaking skills. Um, he's got burst. He's got hard nose running style. He's going to protect the football and always fall forward. And he can catch. He can block. All of these things, I would have said, yeah, Cody's Cody's a lock for that. But he said he's going to go down to the Senior Bowl and leave a guy, uh, you know, with two severed ankles in the middle of the field. Uh, where I said probably not his biggest skill set, but good for him for breaking out a move that uh, maybe some folks didn't know he had. And that's pretty typical Cody Schrader, too, to find a great time to highlight something that maybe people were sleeping on a little bit. And as we talked about this Mizzou team and, and Cody and, and, and D-Rob throughout the course of this season, Ben, and, and heaping the praise on Coach Drink and, and, and a team that was able to win a Cotton Bowl and, and really break through whatever thought whatever we thought they could do and, and exceed it by a ton, maybe we didn't talk enough about what this team and again in, in with Dennis Gates and Kobe Brown it, it's comparable or what Gary Pinkle did year after year with guys that were three-star recruits and turned them into NFL players here's two just right out of the box and Cody Schrader and Dar- Darius Robinson Cody as a guy that starred um, in, in the D3 ranks and um, or D2 ranks and and here's Darius Robinson who was um, uh, not a top of name like a three guy. Star. Yeah. He's like a three star. He's three like star the recruit. recruit. They put the, the three star. We don't have any clue about this guy ranking. And, and turning That's what he them, was. <laughs> yeah. And turning them into NFL prospects, Ben. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. and, and I don't, I don't know what it means losing Blake Baker in terms of how that changes what this defense wants to do. But I, I do think a lot of credit, you got to heap it on what coach drink has been able to do in a coaching staff that hasn't just turned these guys into winners, but turn these guys into pro prospects, and it goes hand in hand, and it, and it sure as heck helps your uh, recruiting pitch. 
Yeah, I mean, your ability to tell players, you can put them in the pros, um, especially if they didn't come in as guys who were minted as guys who were going to be there one day. It's huge. Um, you know, walking into that Mizzou facility, you still see images of, you know, of Chase Daniel, of Blaine Gabbard, of guys who went on to Sheldon Richardson. I mean, Jeremy Macklin, the list goes on and on. But you put those guys literally on the walls of your facility to point to recruits and say, this guy came here and look where he look where he is now. Look at the career he had. What you don't want is those things to look outdated. You don't want that wall to be full of guys who aren't in the league anymore or guys who are in minor roles. So that's that's a little people notice that. And I think Eli Drinkwitz is getting this program back to where it's got a more steady NFL pipeline. That's uh, that's a good thing for Mizzou. It's not. It's one of the few things that has always been a huge recruiting tool that has not changed in this crazy NIL world. Because guys, as much NIL money as they're going to rake in, um, you know, they're they're they still understand the big checks are going to come from the league, and they're going to be a lot more than selling uh, tires for the Columbia, Missouri tire dealership. They want to go play in the pros, and they want to go to a place and a coaching staff and a program that can launch them there. So, you know, of all the good things Cody and, and Darius Robinson and some of these guys did for Mizzou, they might still be doing some of their best work. If they can go and create successful NFL careers and continue to be an ambassador for Mizzou, that, that will work wonders for Eli Drinkwitz and his staff years to come. Well said. Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey with you. We'll keep an eye on those guys. Harrison Meavis as well, a guy we'll probably have a chance to talk about on uh, Sunday as, as uh, these now former Missouri Tigers are always Missouri Tigers, always um, will we'll have, uh, we'll have that block M next to their name getting set to take their game to the pro ranks. We'll come back and talk a little more Mizzou hoops and Mizzou football as well. Ben Arnett, sports director at KOMU, as our Mizzou game plan continues after this. Our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Ben Fredrickson alongside. We're pleased to be joined by the sports director at KOMU in Columbia, joining us for the first time on this particular program. Ben Arnett. Ben, thanks for taking the time with us, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, this is, um, you know, Ben and I, we're, we're trying to figure out a way to, to you know, try and put a, a happy face on what's going on with Mizzou basketball right now. It's difficult to do it when we look up at a team that is yet to win an SEC game. Or, and obviously, you're running these highlights uh, on, uh, on your KMU newscast, Ben, and uh, obviously you see this team a bunch throughout the course of the year. Uh, is, it, uh, is it getting more difficult to put that happy face on what's going on here? I was going to say, welcome to my world, uh, doing our Mizzou Extra show every single week where we do a half an hour all on Mizzou Athletics. I will say this, it is not has not reached the levels of when I hosted Kim Anderson's TV show for three years, uh, which, which, <laughs> which was more challenging than this, as much as I love Kim. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you look, we all see it. I mean, we understand what's going on here, I, you know. The injuries are piling up. They, they didn't hit on the transfer portal nearly as well as they did a year ago. And just the simple fact that, you know, last year's team had four legitimate pros on it. I mean, you've got two NBA guys in, in Hodge and Brown. 
uh, that have been up and down in the league and I, I would be playing on a lot of other rosters if they weren't in the organizations that they're in. You've got Trey Gomillion, who, you know, was borderline G League guy, and Dre Golston, who's been playing professionally overseas ever since the summertime. You don't have those guys, and the guys that they brought in did not nearly uh, come up to that level with the exception of maybe Tamar Bates. And that's hard to fix in the middle of the season. It really is. Well, that's the the happy face that we've been able to put on here, Ben, is the fact that Tamar Bates has had this uh, really it, in, incredible uptick and a, and a star turn, quite frankly, one of the best scorers in the Southeastern Conference. So it's tough because he's been incredible, and it looks like uh, this is a guy we'll be able to talk about next year as well. But at the same time, it's frustrating because he's been so good, yet the team has obviously not quite delivered. Yeah, and I think the most frustrating thing has been, uh, you know, I, I, there, it, there hasn't been zero development by Aiden Shaw, but I, it, he's been inconsistent. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, that frustrates fans is you see a guy like that who appears to have all the talent in the world, and, and he works hard, and he's got a good attitude, and he's got a good outlook, and it hasn't come together. I think if Caleb Grill hadn't gotten hurt, he was starting to come around at the time that, that he got injured. That could have been a difference as well. Um, but it's really difficult whenever you, you see a team that played so well a season ago and was so together, and you hear it now this year in, in Dennis's own words. He was really frustrated after the loss to Arkansas and, and opened up more than, than I think he ever has before, and he was particularly frustrated by the, the lack of consistency. And I don't think he was trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything like that, but sometimes coaches have to come out and say things like that publicly. And at one point he just looked up and said, look, it's – it's hard when he looks down the bench and he just doesn't know what he's going to get on any given night from most of the guys. And, and I think we've seen that, especially with with some players like Nick Honor and Noah Carter. That's been frustrating. Certainly they haven't gotten what they wanted out of Connor Vanover either. Um, you know, a year ago you get a great sixth man out of the JUCO ranks in Sean East who is now – uh, you know, has been leading and running this team at times this season, but they haven't gotten the same kind of production out of Kurt Lewis out of the JUCO ranks. It's just tough in college basketball in this day and age when you're so reliant on the transfer portal. If you swing and miss on the majority of the guys, it leads to a really rough season like this. Then you mentioned the commentary from Gates after the Arkansas game, and that was probably their most disappointing game because that fight that they've shown in previous losses in the conference, I felt like they, they lacked it a little bit. We don't know when they found out the sad news about Coach Nutt, and, and maybe they were affected by that. I, I wouldn't blame them at all if, if they were. But I was appreciative of Gates getting, I think, as real and as, as kind of tell it like it is as he's been all season. There have been times this season where – he's kind of talked away that suggests that people aren't seeing what they're seeing. And that's frustrating for fans during an already frustrating season. It seems to, it seems like he's now calling a, a spade a spade a little bit more and saying, okay, this is about getting what we can out of this and about some soul searching. And, and I, I don't know, maybe it doesn't lead to a win. I do think that's smart for him though, to kind of admit and, and speak truth to what people are watching because people can see what's going on here. And I think most people are understanding, but they don't want to be told something else. Yeah. Dennis gets it. I mean, and in and, and all of my dealings with him, that's, that's been one of my main takeaways. He, you know, he's, he's not running from it now. Um, not that he was before, but you know, he, he understands that everybody can see it and, and, and he sees it every single day. And one of the other things he said after the Arkansas game is you know, genuinely, you know, 
concerns and and is kind of befuddling to him the way he will see guys play a completely different way in practice, which none of us see. And then the lights come on in the main arena and it's time to play in the SEC and he's not getting the same kind of production uh, in the games as he's seeing in practice, which makes it really hard to make a decision as a coach. The other thing that they've run into in the last few weeks, one of, you know, probably the next most common thing you hear from frustrated fans for the last few weeks has been, they got to play the freshman more. They got to play the freshman more. Like let's start seeing these young guys. And right at the time they've started to do that, getting Jordan Butler into the starting lineup and, and looking uh-huh. for more and more minutes for Ant Robinson, you know, Ant Robinson gets sick. His mother passes away. He leaves and, and, and goes to be with his family for the funeral. Then Trent Pierce, they start wanting to get him some more time. He's been sick for the last couple of weeks and the the conference season has been just nothing but fits and starts. You mentioned Ben also now the news this week that one of their assistant coaches, Dickie Nutt, has had a cancer diagnosis and is having to pull back a little bit. He's going to continue to scout, but um, understandably is going to focus on his treatment. You know, there's another area where now they've got to adjust. Um, it's been fits and starts here since conference play began, and there's no simple answer to it. And, and that's unfortunately leads to even more fan frustration because they want to hear an answer. What's wrong? Fix it. And it's just not that easy right now with this team. The best news is you can point to uh, an incoming class that's ranked second in the country, top five consensus among all the scouting services, um, and also a, a hot start on the on the future class. Um, Aaron Rowe, who you were covering it there in Columbia, is at Tolton High School. He's a five-star guard who, I mean, this guy's packing people into Tolton to watch him play. There's been no sign, no indication that he's wavering on his commitment to Gates and his program despite this year's struggles, which is which is good news. What's what's this kid all about? Um, what's the excitement level like in Columbia? Is it reaching uh, Michael Porter Jr.-ish levels for, uh, for watching Aaron Rowe play in high school? And I got to think that that's helping a little bit. Um, that that folks are seeing not only these recruiting classes, but having one of these guys committed to Mizzou, who's who's really grabbing people's attention right there in Columbia. It it really is big, and um, you know that's why you don't want to jump out on Dennis Gates anytime soon because he's got this talent coming in. You know, next year's group from everybody I've talked to that feels like a group that is extremely committed to turning things around. It feels like a group that. You know, people have, have been asking me in the last couple of weeks, well, are they signed? Can they get out? Are we afraid they're going to go? I have not received any indication. That seems like a group of guys that they want to come in and fix things. And there could be as many as two or three starters uh, right out of the box next year. Now, to get back to your question about Aaron Rowe, there's a lot of excitement building about Aaron for several reasons, one of which is this is a guy who loves his city. And the day he committed, that was one of the things he said. You remember, he, he, he was a star freshman at Tolton uh, here in Columbia two years ago. He goes to Link Academy in, in Branson route for a year last season, decides to transfer back as a junior just as things are really starting to heat up for him. And the main reason was he's like, I love Columbia. I want to commit to Mizzou. I want to be around my friends. I want to play for my school. I want to play for my town. I want to play for my state. And that was a lot of what he said whenever he committed a couple of months ago. And that drives a ton of excitement. You mentioned, you know, it building here in Columbia. His first game back was against Hickman High School, one of the crosstown rivals, one of the biggest schools in the state. 
and you couldn't find a parking place at Tolton's gym. <laughs> he, he comes out, he starts to have a slow start. The Hickman students start chanting overrated at him. And he proceeds to have like a 15 or 17 point second half. He comes out the next week in his, in his next game and drops 30. You know, he plays, he plays Dennis Gates's old high school out of Chicago last week in St. Louis. Our mutual friend, Corey Miller sends me the video on Saturday night. Hey, we went and shot this game. Here's this. If you want it, I go and I look at the video. It looks like layup lines, the way he's running up and down the floor. The kid is really special. And, and that, you know, is another reason why if you're a Missouri fan, you need to stay on Dennis Gates right now because he's attracting that kind of talent. Aaron Rowe wants to come play for him. We're, we're visiting with a Ben Arnett sports director at KOMU in Columbia. And, and Ben, I, that's, kind of like my next question here about not so much just you know Mizzou fans all over but Mizzou fans specifically in Columbia I get a sense that's most of the the attendance that we tend to see at at the basketball games uh night in and night out do you get a sense are 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 they wavering at all with the with the with the basketball program because the energy was was so incredible around the team last year and I get a sense that I mean, it would be human nature to where maybe things have uh, have faded at least a little bit from an excitement level compared to last year. Yeah, I mean, you, you've seen it a little bit, and obviously the energy level is going to be a little bit lower than it was a year ago. But, you know, I, again, spent a lot of time in that building uh, at the tail end of the Frank Haith era into the Kim Anderson years, and then whenever things turn south for Conzo, and it's the, the crowds are not anywhere reaching that level yet. You know, you're still seeing crowds of 10,000 plus. The students are still showing up. I thought the student section brought a lot of energy uh, earlier this week against Arkansas, and the numbers were there. Um, you're not seeing people fleeing and, and, and running away. And I think there are a lot of fans who, who understand, you know, they, they still really like Dennis Gates. You know, there, there are a lot of people who are still uh, highly energized by him. Um, and there, you know, frankly, a lot of people, you know, around the program that still strongly advocate for him. You know, Lawrence Bowers, former player, lives in Columbia, runs a lot of camps, does a lot of NIL work, uh, is, is a, a huge fan of Dennis Gates and, and a respected community member here uh, living with his family and, and working here. And, and, you know, Lawrence has been vocally, you know, very strongly and vocally supportive of Dennis Gates. I think that helps. Um, and I think people also are, are smart enough to realize, you know, hey, six months ago, nobody really saw coming for the football program what, what came in 2023. And you never know whenever things are finally going to click and a, a, a six and seven football program turns into an 11 win team and a Cotton Bowl champion because things uh, fall into place, even if they look like they were in a total rebuild a few months earlier. You might see that with this basketball program, you know, in, in the next three to four months because they do have so much talent coming on the way. And, you know, again, I, I feel pretty strongly that, that this coach and his staff um, are pointed in the right direction. They just did not hit nearly as well in, in the portal as they did a season ago. Well, you make a, a great point about uh, about football really bursting on the scene, and, and that's 
was you know for much of the up until a few weeks ago any struggles the basketball team had masked by the fact that football was making their run to a uh, to a Cotton Bowl title and I guess the only thing that maybe has deflated some fans over the last few weeks have been the departures on the coaching staff uh, now for the last uh, seven or eight days we've seen Corey Batoon come in and become the new defensive coordinator and uh, official today Ben. Brian Early comes by way of uh, the University of Houston to become the new defensive line coach. What what are the vibes that that you're getting from the uh, from a, a defensive staff that's getting bolstered by uh, maybe a couple of coaches that aren't well known commodities but have certainly delivered in their time uh, coaching college football? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a trust in in Eli Drinkwitz's. Um, ability to, to choose staff members at this point. That's that's well-earned. Um, you don't just look at, at how well the defense played uh, under Blake Baker um, and some of the guys that, that uh, on that side of the ball that, that Eli Drinkwitz has brought in. But when you look at just the change on offense from a season ago with Eli Drinkwitz making that really difficult decision to take himself out of the play-calling uh, duties and to bring in somebody like Kirby Moore that a lot of people didn't know much about other than, oh, that's Kellen Moore's brother. Um, there's, a, there's a high level of trust there after what, what took place this season. And so I think Mizzou fans are going to you know, give Eli that benefit of the doubt right now, and why shouldn't they, uh, that he's gone out and, and brought in people that, that he trusts. And, and I'll, I'll say this about Eli Drinkwitz also. is is one of the, the quotes from the, the news release that was really honest on the, on the hiring today of Brian Early um, he said, we've been looking at him for a long, long time. And Eli does that. He's, he's really entrenched in, in networking and he's got a, he's got a large network of coaches that he's coached with, or that people that he's coached with know well, he tracks the industry. Uh, he's really, he's realistic about the industry. If he wasn't before, he certainly is now after the way things went down with Blake Baker leaving. Um, and I think Eli, is really big on on having a plan a having a plan b knowing hey if this happens here if this guy were to leave where would i like to go who do i know who would be good for a position like this a position like that um and so while i i don't know that they anticipated that uh that those two would leave uh certainly not baker after what he had said publicly following the cotton bowl or in and around the cotton bowl um i think they it it, it didn't take them so off guard that they didn't have an idea of where they could go that's a great point about Eli. I feel like he is a realist about the business, and at sometimes his commentary on the state of college football is funny because he can step outside of it and point to the absurdity of it all, but also <laughs> understands he's got to be behind the wheel of this thing too, navigating these crazy waters. And I think that the Blake Baker departure really struck him in, in in his feelings, and I think he was candid about that. We heard him talk about that at that coaches' convention, but he kind of dusted himself off and. He's got that Rolodex of coaches, of guys he could hire if he has an opening. And I think he's shown it. Uh, that's, that's so much of coaching now is knowing knowing who to hire. Um, and we saw it on the offensive line last year. He lost a coach late in the game, made a great hire, and that was probably as much of a key to their success as anything else. So um, here's my question for you, Mr. Arnett. And this is a curveball. And okay. it's uh, this, may, this may not be known to listeners um, who know you from – from your from your TV work, but you've got a young daughter who is a hockey fanatic, and oh, I oh my goodness, that, 
I feel bad even for begin to describe it. <laughs> she was doing a school report on Wayne Gretzky um, the last time we talked. I feel yeah. bad for her because she's struggling through this basketball season and also this Blues season. Um, but here's my question for you. I feel like there's some momentum growing um, for hockey in our footprint, if that's the SEC footprint. Um, I feel like especially there's great hockey growing in St. Louis. Do you think there's ever a point where – and Mizzou has a really strong club hockey team, um, and people need, should know that. It's a it's a lot of guys from St. Louis go there and play and have a great time. Um, it's got fans that show up for games. Do you think there's ever a point where the SEC tries to get into the hockey game? Do you think there could be a, a way for that to be something the league could get on board with? We've seen it thrive in Nashville. I think there's other communities that are saying, yeah, that, that could work here. Um, and how big of a hit do you think it could be in Columbia? Answer to the first part of your question for the SEC would be no way. I, I don't okay. think the SEC. I don't think the SEC would ever be interested in, in getting involved with hockey. I am consistently shocked that the S, that wrestling is not huge in the SEC. I would think that in, in any conference, wrestling would be enormous. But I think college hockey, just from my outside observations, is it'd be very similar to wrestling in kind of a an East and West kind of thing. It, it's 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 difficult. Uh, I think it would be difficult to bring that into the SEC. Second part of your question, I think it would be wildly popular in Columbia. And uh, speaking of wrestling, probably the one of the biggest Blues fans in Columbia, Missouri, is Mizzou's longtime wrestling coach, Brian Smith, who has a national championship uh, caliber program uh, this year. And he and I have, have frequently chuckled about, you know, maybe the future of the Hearn Center would be to, to bring that down. And if Missouri built a four to 5,000-seat building for wrestling, gymnastics, and volleyball, and also brought on Division One men's and women's hockey, I think it would be wildly successful. And I don't know, you would, you know, I'll throw a question back to you for a St. Louis Blues organization that struggled to keep its minor league presence in the same yeah, place, and it's bounced point. all over from, yeah, from Peoria to San Antonio to Worcester, Mass, and a million points in between. How happy would the St. Louis Blues be to have a minor league presence in the city of Columbia and their guys just an hour and a half down the road. I think it would be a great, uh, a great fit, but that's just, yeah, their players spend half their weekends there anyway. So it's it, it, <laughs> what I hear. Yeah. I didn't want to say that. I, I, <laughs> certain individuals, uh, <laughs> you know, I work with students all day, Ben, you did the KOMU thing. You know, I've got student journalists and every once in a while, Hey, you never believe it was at Willie's last night. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm going to, there will be a statue of you. Maybe, maybe Co coach Smith deserves a statue for wrestling, but if you bring, yeah. if you bring college hockey to, to Mizzou at, at the division one level, I'm going to, I'm going to be the champion of your efforts because you've been on this for a long time. I just want to give I, you a platform to make your case. I will take any platform. I, I will never shut up about it, by the way. And people in Columbia sometimes get tired of it. I will never shut up about it, that it's absolutely insane that there is not an ICE facility in a city of 150,000 people in the middle of the Midwest. Baffles me. Ben Arnett is the sports director at KOMU. Uh, we're super thrilled he could join us here tonight on our Mizzou game plan program. Ben, thanks for the time so much, man. Uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Anytime. I'd be happy to come on with you guys anytime you'd like. Awesome stuff from Ben Arnett. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and make some picks for tomorrow's big slate. Not a huge deep day of basketball, but some monster top 10 games we'll tell you about next. All right, winding down our Mizzou game plan tonight. Brendan, we see Ben Fredrickson with you and a chance to dig into some of the biggest games in college basketball tomorrow. We'll make a Mizzou pick as well, Ben. Some huge games to dig through. 
And let's start in the Big 12. Afternoon, mid-afternoon till the ESPN's got wall-to-wall hoops tomorrow. Some of the biggest games, and this is a huge one. Number four, Houston at number eight, Kansas. The Cougars have said no problem going from the uh, American Conference to the Big 12. They continue to dominate and look like one of the best teams in the country. Kansas, Ben, they're good. They're still Kansas. But, man, I think their depth issues are starting to seep into a little bit, and um, they're just not quite as impressive as the Jayhawks usually are under Bill Self. Yeah, they've already got uh, three conference losses for KU. That's usually like what they'll have, if that many, over the course of uh, of the whole season. Um, Hunter Dickinson has been good, but not like absolutely dominant, unstoppable, like maybe some folks thought. Um, I think that uh, maybe 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 that's been the reason a little bit. I mean, he's averaging about a double double, but he's but he's not just been the 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 college basketball player of the year candidate that some expected him to be there houston's defense is elite but you got to remember where they're playing here and you got to be you got to have not watched too many of these top 10 matchups go down at allen fieldhouse to not factor in for the the allen fieldhouse bump i think houston is favored in this game by like two and a half points that's really surprising to me i'm not a betting man but if i were i would be betting on the jayhawks in this game because of where they're playing I wonder the last time KU's been an underdog at home. Something tells me it's been a long time, but you're right. It, it's, it kind of feels like a toss-up. I am going to go Houston. I, they have been so impressive to me. Uh, Jamal Sheed, their, their leading point guard, this guy was a defensive player of the year last year in the American, and he's uh, taken the mantle as, as their lead guard. Uh, they've got great guard play, and I, I think they've got just enough to beat KU. Going to be a great game tomorrow. I'm going to take the Cougars. You hinted at it earlier this week. Big one of the Valley tomorrow, Ben Drake in Indiana State. This one's on ESPN2. Our good friend Kevin Lehman will be on the call on that ball game. Sycamores, Bulldogs. Ben, who do you like? But I'm excited to watch this game. I've made this appointment viewing and uh, two really great programs. If you're, if you're the if you're Missouri Valley, you're rooting for a trip, you know, as many overtimes as possible um, for this game. Continue to build a really impressive conference case for March. Look, man, you know my rule. I don't, I don't bet against Tucker De- DeVries. Um, he's averaging twenty point three points per game, fishing four assists per game, averaging a steal and a half per game. So I'm going to take Drake here. I like Drake too. I think the the tempo that Indiana State plays is going to play into the hands of Drake. I think Tucker DeVries, big night. Can't wait to watch it, though. It's going to be so much fun. Hope it lives up to the hype. It is going to be a fun one. We both like Drake there in Terre Haute tomorrow. Ben, ACC, number seven, Duke at number three, North Carolina. What do you think as uh, these two old rivals are both in pretty good shape? Yeah, they both look like they. Uh, we expect these two programs to look. Another top 10 matchup and another spot where I'm going to I'm going to pick the home team in this rivalry uh, UNC is about four and a half point favorite again that feels lopsided I, I this kind of feels like a, a toss-up the a lot of the projections like North Carolina a little bit more they got almost 70 percent on the ESPN projections um Two teams that I think are are back where they belong. This will be one where the nation is watching and 
good that college football is 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 in the rearview mirror because this is this is starting to be the showcase time for college basketball for the rest of the world, and this is the kind of game that will make the folks who are coming late uh, say, okay, it's 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 time now. I really I'm like take North Carolina. Yeah, I really like this UNC team. Ben, they're coming off the loss at Georgia Tech, but probably had their eyes towards this Duke game for sure. Great balance, yeah. R.J. Davis, electric scorer. Armando Baycott down there in the post can score in the paint. And I love the addition they made of Cormac Ryan, the transfer from Notre Dame. Brings a lot of experience. Guy can shoot. And then Elliot Cadeau, the freshman point guard, who's really seen his play elevate lately. Great balance up and down. And one of the better defensive teams. Top five defense uh, efficiency, according to Ken Palm. That's not normally their MO, Ben. And I, I, I think Carolina takes the Dukies down. How about this? Uh, I was chuckling there. Sorry. Duke's only loss since uh, December 9th is to Pittsburgh, the same team that the Missouri Tigers win this in SEC play beat. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Absolutely right. You just never know. How about in the SEC, Ben? Number five, Tennessee at number 10, Kentucky. Both these teams coming off tough losses, tough defeats, uh, and uh, both of those at home, I believe, and uh, two teams, I, I think we probably both talked about maybe Final Four teams last week. You got you always got to read on Tennessee, Ben. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I like Tennessee after a loss, um, and I think that that their their defense is just hard to pick against. Now I don't know what the heck was going on <laughs> against South Carolina, but South Carolina has jumped up and smacked Kentucky too. So kind of throw that one throw that one out the out the window a little bit but Dalton Connect who's in my case leading the charge to to build a player of the year conversation he's averaging like 30 points over the last what six games or something like that um he's borderline unstoppable this defense of Tennessee's is is really good um and I think two motivated teams coming off the loss I, I like Tennessee's chances of going into rup here and getting the win I'm still high on Kentucky but I think Tennessee is just at a little bit stronger of a place at this point in the season. Um, and also Kentucky's lost two of its last three. They didn't just lose to South Carolina. They just came off of a loss to Florida yep. um, at home in overtime. So I, I think Tennessee's a little better team right now. I, I don't know if I'll feel that same way um, you know, in, in, in March at the SEC tournament. I want to see how Kentucky grows up over these next few games, but I think Tennessee gets them here. I, I feel like Tennessee can play at a lot of different levels, a lot of different paces. Um, I think they play up-tempo, which Kentucky's going to want to do. K Tennessee's got the guard play to answer that. But if Tennessee wants to slow them down, I'm not sure Kentucky can answer that type of move by the Vols. I think Tennessee comes in. This is tight. I don't feel great about this pick. I'm going to take the Vols on the road as well, Ben. Bonus pick, Ben. Uh, late night, neither of these teams ranked, but you know they're going to be dangerous come tournament time. St. Mary's at Gonzaga. <laughs> now, you just put this on here because you've been preaching the virtues of St. Mary's. So you just wanted to make this pick. Um, so I'll, I'll play along. I'll pick I'll pick the Zags, and, and you can crow about uh, being on upset alert against uh, riding the St. Mary's wave if, if you are correct. Now, um, I haven't seen a, a line on this game um, but it's in Spokane, and 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 you know Gonzaga's the, the the crown of that of that group until until proven otherwise. But I know that you're convinced the Gales can prove otherwise. 
Uh, this would be a spot where I'd pick Gonzaga normally with it at home. But, yeah, I'll continue to ride St. Mary's. Uh, Ken Palm has it five-point favor for uh, the Zags. I will take St. Mary's. And, Ben, final thought, Mizzou, Vanderbilt tomorrow. Do the Tigers get off the schneid? They have to. Um, someone's got to win this game. And I think Missouri is going to have done some soul-searching after that really disappointing effort and energy level against Arkansas. So, man, I think Missouri's going to get it done. I'm not going to say it's a winnable game because that's a curse. But I will say that uh, I, I will say that of these two disappointing teams this season, I think Missouri has got to prove that it can find a little bit of a silver lining with some of these young guys. Hey, it goes both ways, man. You and I can't call for the young guys to play and get opportunities, and then they get them and, and don't take advantage. So we need to see – Yes, a big game from Sean East. Yes, a big game from Tamar Bates. But it's time for one of these younger guys to come through with the kind of game that can say, okay, there's the, the future is bright, and it's starting to show. Picking Mizzou's bound to hit one of these times. I'll take the Tigers, Ben, and to give me Aiden Shaw as a pick to click tomorrow afternoon. I think Aiden, I don't know if he scores you know, double digits, but let's, uh, let's say Aiden Shaw stuffs the stat sheet tomorrow for the Tigers. They need Aiden Shaw to, to produce something. I think he does it tomorrow. 2 o'clock pregame, 2.30 tip here on the Big 550. Ben, we'll talk to you Sunday. Sounds good, man. Talk to you then. Have a good weekend, everybody. For Ben, I'm Brendan saying so long for now here on the Big 550 KTRS.